You're listening to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. There's a man going around taking names, and he decides who to free and who to blame. Everybody won't be treated all the same. There'll be a golden ladder reaching down when the man comes around. Good morning, everybody. I am so glad to be with you. One day late is better than not at all, isn't it? Fully intended on uh, podcasting yesterday. Just didn't get around to it. So kicking it off this morning with little Johnny Cash. That's a scary song. I think it's his voice. I mean, surely it's the, the content, but... Johnny Cash could read the phone book, and it would be a little scary, you'd have to admit. It's just he's got that resonance to him. So glad to be with you, uh, breaking podcast rules since our inception. You know, conventional wisdom tells you to focus on one thing and get really, really, really narrow. And for whatever reason, I just can't get there. I, um, it's a combination of, of what I'm reading and what I'm thinking and what's going on. And I say thank you in advance for your willingness to go on the journey because heaven only knows where it goes. I am late with the podcast this week, uh, but with good reason, two, two reasons. One is I wanted to completely tell a story that wasn't yet uh, fully out and done. And it's still not, but I'm going to go ahead and, and talk about it anyway. The second is uh, we were traveling, and we'll talk about that in a bit. First, the story that I wanted to tell that I'm so excited about is about the mailbox debacle. Now, if you follow me on Instagram or on Twitter, you have been inundated with a nearly daily photograph of a mailbox that was hit by a snowplow on December 7th, on or around, as they say in legal terms, because it's been so long. It was in 2019 this happened. It was last year, technically. A snowplow hit our mailbox. Now, it is a mailbox like you see in every other subdivision where there's like, uh, let's see, four across and three high. It's like 12 mailboxes all put together in a steel box. And our snowplow hit it and uh, did a number on it. I mean, he didn't bend it. He destroyed it. And so we're going to need a new mailbox. So we waited and we waited. And uh, a couple of days later, the mailman came by and said, you know, we're going to be replacing that. We have it on order. Okay. That's a very important thing to remember. We have your mailbox on order. Like it was an O-ring from the space shuttle and it was being fabricated somewhere. There is no reason these should be on order. If you live in Kansas City, this is the same mailbox that's used from 115th Street down to 159th Street and maybe from State Line Road west to Quivera. If you're not familiar with Kansas City, that is an area roughly the size of Rhode Island. Everywhere you go, same mailbox in subdivisions. About every 200 feet, there must be thousands of these things. I do not believe that they have to wait to build one. I just, I don't think so. I think that there's a warehouse somewhere full of them because this has got to happen every time it snows. But a week goes by, we wait patiently. And no mail comes, by the way. We have to make some phone calls and discover that if we go to a warehouse somewhere down on Metcalf, we can get our mail. Periodically, the mailman will bring things. He'll, he'll say, oh, this looked important, and he, he, he'll bring us our mail. I don't understand what his um, 
like what his measurement of is important in looking at other people's mail. But some once in a while he'll show up with a mail. Mostly we go get it. But a week goes by, two weeks, eight weeks. It goes on and on. At the 30-day mark, I start posting photos of this thing. And I would stop and snap a photo. It's, it's just up the street, four or five houses. And I always wondered if the person who lives in the house was going to come outside and ask what I was doing. Well, they're not wondering now, and I'll explain why. Because after 75 days, not just of not having a mailbox, but of the broken hulk of a mailbox laying in this guy's yard at the curb, 75 days. Last week, we had a breakthrough. Here's how it all went down. I was at Kelsey's office. I was at Zoe's house. And uh, the receptionist comes to her and says, uh, Kelsey, there is a uh, so-and-so on the phone from Senator Ron's office. And uh, we, we said, oh, interesting. So Kelsey gets up to go and take the phone call because she doesn't have a phone in her office. She and I feel very similar about phones. And so she goes to take the phone call at the receptionist's desk, and uh, she answers it. And very quickly, I figure out that they're talking about my social media. They had been looking for me, but they could not find me. And so they found her, and they called her at the office. So Kelsey gets off the phone, and she looks at me and says, the senator's staffer is going to reach out to you about the mailbox. As it turns out, someone in the office of the senator follows me on Twitter or on Instagram and had noticed that this had been going on and on and on. So emails were exchanged with the local office. Then it gets bumped up to the statewide office. And yesterday, I get a phone call from the United States Postal Service. And they told me, yeah, Mr. Bolander, we received a phone call um, from the Senate office. And so we decided to drive out and take a look at it. I'm thinking, no, I don't say it, but I'm thinking 75 days. They just drove out to take a look at it. And they went on to say, we discovered it does not belong to the Homeowners Association. It belongs to us. Again, I'm thinking, do tell. It says property of the U.S. Post Office on the side of the rotting hulk of a mailbox. But then they said, we hope to have it replaced this week. So very, very excited. The old one is gone. The new has not yet come. There's a cone there where the old one was, but we have hope for a new mailbox. Immediately when I got off the phone with the Postal Service, I texted Kelsey, I am an influencer. I want you to know that, honey. I am an influencer. Then I texted our neighbors, Craig and Kathy, who are fantastic. I should have them on the podcast. That would be fun. Craig and Kathy are awesome. I told them that when the new mailbox arrives, we want to do a ribbon-cutting ceremony, have some food trucks, and it's just it's going to be a big day. It's going to be exciting. But that's not why the podcast is late. I just wanted to finish that story. The podcast is a little late this week because I took a little road trip last week to Colorado Springs. Uh, Kelsey and I... And about six of the kids, I say about, that sounds like I left somebody at a, at a rest stop. No, six kids. I know exactly how many. Six of the kids came along with us. Um, and we went out to visit Lou and Therese Ingle. Uh, we adore the Ingle family. They have just been instrumental in our lives since about 2000. And I'll talk about that. So, you know, 20 years that they've been um, an impact on us. 15 years in the real close friendship. And they are phenomenal people. They dream big and they empower people to do the same. When Kelsey and I look back at the last 20 years, 
pretty much every crazy big thing we did that we just felt like the Lord called us to do and we stepped into relates back somehow to Lou and Therese Engel. We would have never done outreach to Burning Man if it weren't for Lou. We would have never moved to Washington, D.C. if it weren't for Lou and Therese. We probably would not have adopted. There would be no Zoe's house if it weren't for Lou sitting in a room somewhere looking at us saying, isn't it interesting? And then going off on a story. And when he's done with his story, you just want to do whatever he thinks that you should do. Now, Lou is also a fasting fiend. If you know him, he uh, loves to call a fast. Now, he'll be honest, and he'll tell you that he has quit more fasts than anybody he knows. So he calls more than anybody knows, and he falls off the wagon more than anybody knows, but he tries, and he encourages other people to try. We did our first fast based on something we heard Lou say. That's what stirred us to do that. I'll talk about it in just a minute. But before you get that story, you have to understand, Lou is intense. If you don't know him, if you've only seen him somewhere or only heard him, uh, he is intense. Now, that doesn't mean he's not fun. It's actually the opposite. He's a lot of fun, but he's passionate. And if you've heard him, you know it. But if you've never heard him, let me just say, Lou is an experience. He's not just a person. He's like uh, uh, an attraction like Disneyland. I don't know how to explain it. Years ago, when we were in Washington, D.C., we would do these prayer meetings. I've, I've talked in previous weeks about our little prayer room above the bank there on 2nd and C, 2nd and B, something like that, in Washington, D.C., very close to the Capitol. In the summer nights, we'd have the windows open, and we'd have the music cranking, and we'd be praying and uh, to understand what it sounds like, now this was recorded before this, but it's the same guy and it's the same passion. Can you imagine walking down Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C., and from above a bank through open windows, you begin to hear Lou, and he's praying, and this is what it sounds like. That's what it would sound like, wafting out of the windows across the city. And that's just Lou. He's that fun. He's that energetic about everything. Went to the movies with him one day on Father's Day. And I don't know why. We all went to a different movie. So Lou and I ended up going to the same one and our family scattered, if I remember right. But we went to see Superman, and he was because we were late, he was in the front row on the left, and I was in the back row on the right. Could not have been further apart. And I was I could still hear him over the over the movie as he was cheering for the good guy and booing the bad guy. It's just Lou. He is fun. But he's not just fun, he's motivating. 
for you to go after the deep things of God. And he motivated us back in 2000, before we even knew him, just resources he was putting out that touched us so deeply that we wanted to fast. That is an unnatural situation. Nobody wants to fast. But it made us want to fast. But we didn't really know much about it. And so we did probably the worst fast ever. There's a lot of different ways to fast. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But we did probably the worst thing ever, which is we ate a little bit. I mean, a very, very small portion of rice or beans um, three days a week. And then the other days we just drank a little juice. And then on weekends we just drank water. It's the worst idea in the world because it kind of gives your body hope that you're going to eat, but you never actually do. So your body never really settles into the fast. It's a bad idea. I lost so much weight on this fast. When it was done, I'm not kidding. Now I'm, I'm a little bigger now, but I wasn't very big then. When it was done, I weighed 117 pounds for real. I looked like a survivor of something, but barely. And the first 21 days of the fast were terrible. We just we would meet every night and we would pray and we just were getting nothing. But on the 21st day, something changed. And I don't know if suddenly we were tender enough or open enough. I don't know what the situation was, but the Lord began to speak to us in clear ways that charted the course for our life. We were hungry, we were starving, but we heard from God, and it was a marker in our life in that season. Later on, friends would ask, what happened to you? And they weren't just asking because I you know, looked 117 pounds. They, there was a difference in how we lived our lives that we base on that fast. At some point, you get to the point where you want to hear from God more than you want to eat. Now, you may be going, yeah, I'm not there yet. Not there at all. One day you will be. But for someone seeking to make an impact, fasting is like, it's an acceleration. It's a built-in, for one thing, it's a built-in ego check. Because there's a temptation, if you've got any amount of charisma or any amount of talent, to move in that rather than relying on God's power. And fasting completely knocks that out of you. It, it was something that even Jesus did. In Mark 1, it says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And the voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Now you know in the life of every political or religious or pop figure that suddenly becomes very popular... There is a moment in time. There's just a, a second where they are, uh, it's like they're coming out party. And that's what this was for Jesus in a sense. It was bigger than that. But in a public uh, arena, this was his rock star moment. If ever he could have gone on pure charisma, this was the time. But instead, in between this incident and beginning his public ministry, he fasted. Luke 4, 1 and 2 tells the story of what happens next. It says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Now, Jesus was supernatural, but he was also natural. His physical body was hungry. And Jesus chose to fast before entering into public ministry. This isn't just a story that he tells us. This is actually a pattern or a plan for us.
He expected that fasting would be a part of our normal life. Matthew 6, 16, he's talking to the disciples and those that are gathered, and he starts a sentence by saying, when you fast. It doesn't say, you know, if the Lord lays it on your heart. Or maybe if you get caught up in emotion. Or maybe if your pastor suggests it. You know, he goes, when you fast, it is assumed you're going to fast. There are things that I announce around our home that are not questions or are not offers. I don't say to the kids, if we clean the house. No, cleaning the house is going to happen. The question is, are you going to participate as a son or a daughter? Or are you going to try and reap the benefits of living here without participating in what we do as a family? And when Jesus said, when you fast, it is because fasting was supposed to be a normal part of the Christian experience. Now, does that mean everyone does continual 40-day fasts on water? No, 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 not at all. That's not even practical. But it does mean that as an expression of your devotion, there should be some sort of regimen of denying yourself of things that are justifiably yours. Not just avoiding sin, but avoiding things that um, are not sin, yet serve as an expression of your devotion to Him when you say no to them. Let me give you some answers on some practical questions, because every time I talk about this, I get the same questions over and over. So maybe I can kind of short-circuit that a little bit. Some of you are asking, do I have to fast on water alone? No, absolutely not. In fact, I would say before you do any sort of serious fast, if you've never done this before, talk to your doctor about it. Don't just go off and do it unaware. Ask your doctor, you know, is this safe for me? What would be a good way to do this? But there's a lot of different ways to fast. I've uh, done a number of Daniel fasts uh, patterned after the book of Daniel where it says he ate no choice meats or or desserts where just no meats, no sweets, just vegetables, that sort of thing. And uh, you say, well, that doesn't sound like a fast. Yeah, well, go try it for a while. I mean, I don't mean like for two days. I mean, try it for a week or, or 10 days and see if it feels like a fast. It really does. You can fast other things. You can fast information. For some of you, it would be a fast to disconnect the data plan from your phone and to stay off social media for a while. For some of you, to delete the Netflix app from your iPad would be a fast. This is what important uh, is what is important. A fast should cost you something and it should free up time. Okay? It should it should cost you some level of comfort and it should allow you a little more time to do something different. Well, the other question is then what do I do with that time? I know what I don't do if I'm fasting. I know what I don't do, but what do I do? A couple of things you really should do. Jot the time down that you would have spent doing whatever you're fasting and spend that in prayer. If you're skipping meals, spend that meal time in prayer. If you are skipping uh, Netflix, the time that you would sit down and binge watch that show, spend that time in prayer. Increase the time that you spend in the Bible. If you're going on an extended fast, a 30-day fast, 40-day fast, get it together with a Bible reading plan. There's a great one on YouVersion. You can get through the New Testament in a month. It's not that hard, but it occupies some of that time. It will help you stay on your fast, and it will maximize the time that you're banking because you're not doing things that you are fasting. If you're fasting without increasing your prayer and devotional time, You're not fasting, you're just starving or dieting maybe. We're not looking to diet for Jesus. We're looking to set time aside and deny ourselves allowable pleasures because he is worth more. Some of you are listening to this and go, no, 
I'm just, I'm not motivated. How do I motivate myself to do this? Well, part of it is self-discipline. You've got to set a schedule and you've got to commit to it. Part of that is just that. But also some of it is group dynamics. It is easier to fast in conjunction with other people. You have a tendency to hold yourself accountable and encourage one another. Find a friend, find your spouse, uh, somebody in your church and say, hey, will you do this with me? Will you do it for a week? Will you do it for two weeks? And during that time, meet regularly to pray together and to ask one another, is the Lord speaking to you? What are you learning? Their fast sometimes will encourage your fast. And there will come a time when you know you're meeting on Friday morning to pray and it's Thursday night and the kids are asleep and you know that there is ice cream in the freezer because you're the one who still has to buy the groceries when you're on the fast and you will be tempted and you will not break your fast because you know you have to meet that friend in the morning. You know what? That still counts. Do it as a group. You also motivate yourself by doing it with a purpose. Fast for a breakthrough in your life, but fast for something bigger than you. You know, if I can be a part of a solution for somebody else, I am more motivated sometimes by the needs of others than my own. I could be kind of complacent about my own needs, but if I can fast for you, if I can fast for my family seeing breakthrough, I'm more motivated sometimes by other people than my own needs. Would you fast if you knew your prayer and your fasting mattered? If you knew it would make a difference? I think you would. And you know what? It will. I'm encouraging people to join Lou on a fast that he is calling. It's a 40-day fast. He's not dictating how you do it. You determine that. But it's a 40-day fast he's calling the Jesus fast. And it refers back to Matthew 9, 35-38. And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest, meaning the people that he could reach, the people who need Jesus, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We've always used this verse to call people into missions. It's not as much about you going into missions as it is about you praying that God would send people. Now, maybe that is you, but we've got to mobilize intercessors if we're ever going to see a breakthrough missionally in our church, in our city, or anywhere in the world. And so Jesus, as the evangelist here, encourages them to pray for laborers and fast for laborers to go out. Recently, there was a massive event in Brazil called the Send. My son Jackson and his wife Madi were down. Three soccer stadiums, two of them completely full of Brazilians calling for Jesus to send people into the mission field. Brazil, across South America, North America, Europe, Asia, they talked about this idea of a group fast. And Lou had just rolled out this idea of the Jesus fast. If you go to louengel.com, and there's a link at the top about the fast, you can sign up and add your name. Close to 60,000 people have already signed up to do this. 50,000 of them from that event in Brazil. So maybe you can't motivate to do this by yourself, but maybe you can join the global church in saying yes to fasting for a season. I'm telling you right now, I'm in. 
Am I going to do just water? No. I can't swing it at this phase of life. If I could go off to the mountain somewhere, I might be able to pull it off. But there are too many demands on on my just getting everybody where they need to be that I can't do it in just water. I'm going to do something modified, but I'm going to fast in a significant, a real way. Because I want to join with the entire church to do what Jesus said he expected us to do and to ask that many would be sent out into the harvest field that Jesus could have his reward. This all points for us to an event in the fall called the Send Kansas City, Arrowhead Stadium. We're going to gather thousands of people who are going to answer the call to pray that Jesus would send laborers out into the harvest field, and many of them also will go. So I'm just asking, will you join us in some measure starting the 1st of March? Go to lewingle.com. Click on the Jesus Fast link, sign up, drop me an email or a tweet, let me know, hey, I'm, I'm going to participate in this. I've never done this before, but I'm going to try, or I've done it a hundred times, and I'm in. There are resources and a, a devotional there for you to read every day there on, uh, on Lou's website, just to keep you connected. But particularly if you're in Kansas City, let me know. I'd love to know who else is doing this. It matters that we do this. Jesus said he expected we would do this, and he gives us a purpose to do it. Why would we do anything else? Hope you have a great day. I'm going to go see if the mailbox got put up. I'll talk to you later on the third cup of coffee. Now the plumber's got a trip in his spigot.